on time. Where is everybody? Usually I'm late. noted I was on time this time. morning, everybody. How y'all doing? All right. Good to see y'all. Good to be with you. Glad you made it. Uh, if you want, we'll stand up, pray, and we'll, we'll get into the song. Father, we love you. We're here for you today. We're here for you and you alone. I just uh, praise you and we thank you for all you've blessed us with. Just for the things in our lives. started off right, so we thank you for the, the parents in their lives, bringing them here and acknowledging that that's important, and we just thank you for the excitement coming out of that, and we celebrate, we just give you this day too, God, just pray for all of us, for all the hurt that's in here right now, I know there's a lot of hurt that's not safe, and we pray for your grace on that, for um, the faith and understanding on our part to know that you're with us through everything. Give you this 
This, uh, we're we're going to do a new song. The kids actually taught us a couple weeks ago at their worship night. Uh, it's a nice song. Um, basically, the point of it is there's nothing we can give God except our hearts, um, our service, our gratitude. Um, so, I don't know. I'm super tired. A lot of people are probably tired. Last week was barely standing. Today, we're making it through. But God doesn't need a lot. He just needs us, our commitment. It'll take, most of you might not know it or maybe you've heard it, but as we sing it a couple times, you'll get it, and it's, uh, it's pretty easy to follow. could sing these songs as I often do, but every song must end, and you never do. So I throw my hands and praise you again and again, because all just one chorus again. So I throw up my hands and praise you again and again. Cause all
Was that a wonderful way to go before the throne of our Lord, just in a spirit of worship? And I know that if you're gathering with us here or if you're with us online, uh, we are together in spirit and right now before the Lord's throne. And there's something about the first, the first day of the week that I think is so defining because in, in a lot of ways it just symbolizes newness. And as uh, the new creation is being described in Scripture, it actually is a way of defining what, what the road ahead looks like for the believer. As much as we feel like we're trapped in a world that uh, is filled with a lot of evil and chaos, and, and certainly you feel a lack of control, there is a sense that God is in control and that we are going somewhere and one day he's going to make everything right. And so we carry that hope into this room. And I hope that hope impresses itself upon you today uh, because we need that more and more, don't we? Well, as we gather, I also want to be praying for some pastoral concerns that we have as far as uh, needs of our people. And um, just want to keep lifted up uh, Joe Henderson, uh, who is uh, at home right now. They've called hospice in, if, you, if, you, if you're not aware. And uh, they're just making him comfortable, but his spirit is... He's in good spirits. He knows where he's going, and um, I'm so grateful for that. I'm sure you've seen Joe here. Uh, he's worked as a greeter for a long time. He's a tall gentleman, kind of, kind of balding. I don't know if that's a good way to say it, but um, he's just a good soul. Uh, so pray for him. Pray for Jerry Zimmerman's dad, Dalbert, uh, who is going through uh, just a, a long recovery process from a heart attack. Um, wanted to mention uh, Josh Lulai's dad as well, who's going in for chemo and radiation pretty soon. Uh, so that um, has been a concern for that family. Um, and Peg Panzot, who's trying to get her blood count back up again, and I said we're going to redouble our prayers so that you can get your strength back again. Um, I may be missing somebody, so I wrote it down somewhere, put it in my pocket. And... Um, uh, let's see, I uh, also wanted to mention uh, Dan Kreider, who will be going in for surgery on his arm for uh, uh, just some, some issues with the nerves on the 25th. 
and uh, my neighbor, Belinda Bowles, who's uh, recovering from quadruple bypass. So those are some pretty big things that have been happening here. And let's see, what else do we have? Oh, yeah, I want to pray. Um, uh, let's see, for... Um, uh, trying to remember now. Um, we have some things coming up, and it's been... It's been on my on my mind as far as that goes. We're we're setting out this new year in a way that um, hopefully we're defining it around the calendar, and we're trying to get all the moving pieces. What Amy's doing, what the ministry teams are doing, all together. I want to keep that lifted up in prayer uh, as well. It's kind of an organizational thing. Um, want to pray um, uh, for for uh, Dave Syok, who's also going through his own challenges. So please keep him lifted up. And um, I'm sure I'm missing something. Yeah. Okay. And what's her name? Okay. Your cousin Ann's having heart surgery, and it's very critical and, and potentially life-threatening. Okay. All right. All right, Robin. Um, I want to pray um, for her son that has the blue spirit in December. Okay. And then I'm praying for Nadia also with uh, lung stones. Um, so just get in her thoughts because her name is Jeremy. Jeremy. And he's like 30 years old. Okay. So complications from a bowel repair that just needs to be resolved. Okay. I saw somebody else. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, that jogs my memory. Um, Alma Castles passed away last week. I don't know if you guys remember Alma. Um, and, um, of course, uh, Case Watson also, um, so it'll be a private service in Steubenville tomorrow for Kay, and then Alma's service is on Tuesday, I believe at 11 o'clock, which is a little bit of a sidebar because I, I do have a class that meets at 11 o'clock. You guys, if we could meet at, at, um, at 9, that, that would work for me, but just let me know, okay? So anything else? Diane? praying for Diane's um, uh, daughter-in-law, Amy, and she's had a lot of difficulties with her eyes, and it's somehow it's resolving itself. Science kind of says one thing, but signposts are pointing to the Lord, so when the signposts point to the Lord, we just give him the credit, don't we, because we know he's at work. 
answers prayer. That's why we're taking a minute and going through this because I honestly believe it makes a difference. Okay. I want to look at that picture for a minute. The family maybe spent you know, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Is there still space for things to accommodate and okay. expand in here? Because I'm not going to be trying to dig in this dark. This is my collection. Okay. Okay, so if, if anybody wants to um, donate to that, they can talk to you or um, Rachel or the office, okay. <coughs> and that's the Hetzel family? Yeah, yeah, lost their house in the fire a couple weeks ago. Okay, yeah, Shane? Dave Adams, uh, 32 years working in the Grand Park Department, had a tree back here on, I believe, November of Okay, oh, sorry to hear that. Yeah, Dave Adams family, okay. All right, well, we're gonna take all these things before the Lord and trust that he's gonna do his good work. So would you bow with me and let's just, uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Jesus, we um, look at all of the cross-section of needs within our own uh, community and our, our friends and people that we know who have lost loved ones and uh, we just wanna collectively list all, all of these names that we have brought uh, before each other to pray for and to lift up before you and just to take the substance of their lives and their needs and those who are grieving over the loss of loved ones and just ask, Father, for each name that we have mentioned that you would attend to those needs, that you would bring a healing touch, that you would bring a word of encouragement that you would provide for families that have lost either loved ones or their home. And we pray, Father, that you would show yourself in a way that uh, in the end, as we come back to you in prayer, those prayers are lifted up as words of gratitude for the things that you have done. Just thank you for being with uh, Amy, especially in this miracle that we're, we're discovering just now. And we're grateful for that. And just thank you, Father. Uh, for helping all the others along the way. And as we lift that up and we lift up our church and the upcoming year and the things that we're organizing around so that we can be effective and we can be united in purpose and in mission and in everything that we do together, we ask, Father, that you would uh, take all of these things and order them together for a purpose in Christ. Lord, I know that you are at work in our hearts and our minds today as we gather uh, you are bringing a word of encouragement for those who need to hear it and a word of, of correction if we need to hear that as well. And we thank you that you come so close that you reveal us not only the truth of everything that you see, but also grac graciously and lovingly you draw us into a place of, of redemptive healing. And we can't thank you enough for that. And as we just lift these things up to you, we pray that we would be united in heart and mind and uh, help us to just tune our spirits to you as we pray together the Lord's Prayer. Would you pray with me now? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Well, as we, um, as we pray for one another, if um, we have prayer warriors in the room who maybe didn't hear every, every voice or everything that was mentioned, uh, please come and see me uh, and a- after the service if, uh, if you missed out on anything. But please keep praying for uh, the individuals that have been mentioned in our worship gathering. Um, nothing happens in this church without first asking God to engage with it. I believe that sincerely, including the message that... Um, we're about to go into. As you know, we're looking at the book of John, at least up until Lent, uh, which begins next month. And then we're off and running through the book of Luke till Easter. And I'm really excited about going into this portion as we explore the book of John, because it's one of those books that has been deeply personal to me. As I've read it, um, I've, and maybe you've experienced it as well, it's got some pretty famous stories Um, Like the woman at the well, Jesus cleanses the temple twice. Uh, It mentions the the, the disciple who who, who Jesus loved, John. And there's just so much in there that speaks to our heart and our mind at the same time. And John is one of those books, you read it in two different ways. One is just kind of on the surface, but there's always something below the surface in John that uh, reflects back to the storyline of the people of God as, um, as, it, as it brings to bear so much of the Old Testament onto the New Testament as it's understood through the life of Jesus. So hopefully you got all that. And if you are reading through the book of John, because I know a number of you have said, I'm going through the book of John devotionally. Uh, let me just give you a little bit of, a, of, a, of a, maybe some insight into something to look for. Uh, the book of John talks a lot about the temple and how Jesus is actually the new temple. And the temple imagery, whether it's uh, the word of God came and dwelt among us, the word for dwell is tabernacled among, among us, and there's rich imagery of God coming into the lives of people through the tabern bless you, through the tabernacle, through the temple, and then there's imagery of God leaving the temple when Israel was disobedient in Ezekiel, and then there's this imagery of him coming back. So as you're reading the book of John, be thinking about how Jesus is showing us a new temple and a new way of life. And that's just kind of a little sidebar. But it's an important sidebar because essentially what the book of John is telling you and I is that no matter where we are at in life, no matter what we are going through, God is always available to be present with us. And I love that so much because there's been a lot of times where I felt like, you know what, God must be rejecting me. But the fact of the matter is God never rejects uh, us. It's us typically pushing him away. And my hope is as a pastor that I can help you to draw close and to put down some defenses and things like that. But if you're like me... um, you know, you, you, you always put on a positive front, but there's always more to the story. And uh, this year I turned 59, and I wasn't too excited about it for a couple of reasons. Uh, one of them is the next number kind of worries me a little bit. Uh, you know, there's still a part of me that wants to ride a unicycle around the church. And I don't know if that's good or bad, advisable, stupid, probably questionable regarding the insurance and all that. But there's a kid in me that says, hey, you know what, body, I don't care what you're doing. I'm still here. And there's another part of me that says, yeah, but you're not 21 anymore. 
And I don't know if you have that struggle or not, but um, if I were just to imagine that, uh, I, I would say uh, that, that, that we're probably all in good company because life goes pretty fast. Uh, but the other side of the 59, it's a little bit darker tone, but it is the year that that's the age that my father was when he passed away. And so I look at it a little bit, uh, you know, with a little bit of fear and, and trembling. Um, but uh, with that said, the only thing that gives you peace is the knowledge that God is the one who has numbered our days, and we have to just trust him in that. Uh, but, you know, if somebody were to were to say, you know, how old are you? I, I, I just say, you know what, uh, since I've been born again, I, I'm just an eternal being. Age doesn't matter anymore. Um, and they would say, well, I kind of don't believe that. But uh, hopefully uh, you recognize as Jesus came into our lives, into our world, he redefines everything, including uh, who we are and, and, and how, how old we get to be in him. Um, and I thought about this a little bit relative to something that, that I I, I see and use every day, uh, and that's my truck. If you put a picture of my truck up there, uh, there it is. If you saw that on the parking lot, that's my 2011 Honda Ridgeline. And if you look at it from this side, it, it looks really good. Um, I mean, 11, 2011, what is that in truck years? You know, it's 23. I don't know what a truck is in truck years, but I'm guessing it's like, you know, 50 years old or something, maybe 59, I don't know. Let's just say 59, okay? Uh, and if I were to sell it, I would just wanna use this picture right here because there are other pictures about this truck that you might see that you might say, oh, I didn't know, I didn't see that, I didn't recognize, I, didn't, I thought that thing was in a lot better shape than that. But if I were to kind of give full disclosure, I, I would say, well, you know what, it's got a few scars, okay? And if you, wanna, if, if you wanted to buy it from me, um, I might make a good deal on it, but, um, uh, but I would just say, you know, if you're trying to show it off, just drive, drive where that side is, the side that people see. Uh, because when you, go to, when you go to another side of it, this is what you see here. That, a dent, yeah. Now, I'd like to say I'm not responsible for that, but I actually am responsible for that. Um, for some reason, this is just... I, I think a, a commentary on, on my own mind sometimes because I was on Craigslist, as you know, I shopped there uh, for farm things and I bought a mower to pull behind my tractor, which I also bought on Craigslist, by the way. And uh, ironically, the same town on the other side of Ohio, another guy had a mower for sale and I drove over there in my truck thinking it'll fit nicely in the back of my truck. So I get there and it's getting ready to storm and I discover that it will not fit in my truck at all. It's a big, wide, pull-behind, you know, mower. And I notice that the, the sky is getting really dark off to the west, and it's coming this way. And I'm, I'm in Wellington, Ohio, and I don't know. We're still on the Great Plains out there. You know, they, they don't have mountains out there like we do here. And as I'm looking at the sky, I'm thinking, it's going to rain cats and dogs. And this guy has this thing on his tractor, and he's trying to put it in my truck, and it won't go in there. And I'm just like, just put it on the back of the truck because i got to get out of here. But he puts it on the back, and it just scrapes and rubs and all this stuff. And I'm just trying to beat the weather. And it's just hanging over the side of the truck. And I'm thinking, I don't even, this thing may fall off. And I'm driving away, and I'm like, 
got it ratcheted down, but it's just hanging over. It looks awful. And I go through back roads thinking, hopefully the police will not see me. And uh, sure enough, the first town I come to, there's a cop sitting there. The only car in this bad weather that's sitting there. And I sneak by him real fast, and he pulls out. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. If it rains, it pours. And then I'm just watching him in my rearview mirror. And then I, then I, I said a prayer. I said, Lord, don't let him see me. And you know what? There was a stoplight. It turned yellow right as I was going through it. Well, a little bit bef somewhat before. And, and I got through it, and I'm like, please stop, please stop, please stop. And he stopped, and I just took off. And it was so rainy. I don't know if there were red lights behind me or not, but um, no, there weren't. That one was my fault. But all my other scars, they're not my fault. I promise. Okay, so here's another one. Let me just show you. That one. Yeah. You know what that's called? Aging. Okay. So that is a part of my truck that I'm embarrassed to show you because you say, he doesn't wash it. Well, I do give my truck a bath, but uh, rust never sleeps, as you know. Not much I can do about that one. That, that one's not my fault. That one's not my fault either. Okay, I just got to tell you. Okay, I went up to Youngstown to do a good deed for somebody. And I'm just going to leave it at that. And I had to park in a parking garage. And it was on a very rainy, cold day. So cold that it was like 29 degrees and rainy. Okay, so I go to the top of the parking garage. And there's no cars up there at all. And, and, I, and I have to go to the top to go back down to the bottom. And as I get up there, um, I'm just barely scooting along. And I hit my brakes. Nothing. I just slide and slide. I kid you not, I slid all the way from here to that wall, going two miles an hour. And did I say wall? I hit the wall. And I'm just praying the whole time, don't deploy the airbag when I hit the wall. Thank goodness that didn't happen. But then that was because I was trying to do a good deed for somebody. I got there, and I'm like, that cost me a lot, more than you realize. Not my fault. And then there's another one. Uh, again, I went to Ohio State University to do a good deed for my son. And I must have parked in some student's parking place because I parked it there at night, came back the next day, and it had two imprints, like somebody took a, a fist and just went like that. And I thought, surely nobody would do that. And my friend John Barrett, when he saw it, he said, somebody got mad at you, didn't they? Because they punched your hood. And I'm like... I didn't realize I had upset them. So there you go. I got a scar from offending somebody that I didn't even know I offended. You ever have that happen? And then there's, there's I'll just show you another one, okay? That's not my fault either, okay? That's what happens when you turn kids loose on a mower, okay? I'm not going to say anything more other than there are rocks involved, okay? And I'm thinking, mm, better the door than my head. So note to self. Stay away from kids who don't know what they're doing on a mower. They got better, but that door never healed itself. I kept saying, heal yourself, and it just never did. And, and maybe there's one more. I don't know. There's so many, I can't even count them anymore. Is that all of them? Oh, mercifully. Yeah. But I can tell you this. The thing runs like a top. Just get in, turn the key, and it goes. 
scars and all. I thank the Lord for that, but those are all stories that I think in a lot of ways are kind of like you and I. We got a lot of scars. We got a lot of things that the journey has brought to our doorstep, some of them self-inflicted, some of them not. But the fact is that um, we're pretty damaged goods by the time we get through this journey. And some of us, we get damaged pretty early on. I mean, I, I, I just have one more story, and that is we bought a brand new minivan, brand new, beautiful, uh, sunny day. The metallic blue just shimmered and shined. We took it home, and I kid you not, it wasn't two hours. Somebody in the garage, and it wasn't me, knocked something over on it. Two hours, and it had a nice little scratch and dent on it. I'm like, well, not worrying about that car anymore. There is just something either out of the gate or along the way that's going to happen to you and I. Sometimes it is just poor choice, poor decision-making, poor judgment, and other times it is just the very fact that you and I live in a world that is pretty broken, and it will beat, if you step out the door, it will beat you up. And there's no getting around that. If you engage with other people, it will beat you up. I honestly thought about how, how this is playing out as I'm just beginning to move into the scripture here in a second. But I'm trying to, trying to prime you for this moment uh, because it seems like so much about what we do involves damage or crashing I mean, I, I was going to show you a picture of cars in Pittsburgh, you know, on an icy day and how they just pull out and then they go down and then they just kind of collect in a pile at the bottom of the hill. We tend to crash into each other. We don't do well, not only with life, but, but, but with each other. And what's so fascinating is that God sees this every day, all the time, and has for literally thousands of years <clears throat> And you know what his decision was? I'm going to join in. I'm going to join in. And so we find some interesting scriptures at the beginning of the book of John where God does exactly that. So if you want to turn to John 1, verses 14 through 18, uh, we're going to pick a little bit up from where we left off last week. And it says, so the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's um, one and only Son. Thank you. John testified about him when he shouted to the crowds, 59, this is the one I was talking about when I said, someone's coming after me and he is far greater than I am for he existed long before me. And from his abundance, we have all received one precious blessing after another. I want you to underscore that. I'm reading from the New Living Translation because I like the warmth of that translation for what we're reading. 
And I know a lot of people have gotten caught in a habit of just, well, being negative or complaining or listening to too much news on TV, which is premised on complaining about the problems out there and getting sort of into that posture of looking at things through a glass not even half empty, just glass even barely there. And what I want to remind you guys is that when Jesus came into the world, he began to show us all the blessings that God has basically peppered into our lives. And once we see them through, through him, we start to see them more clearly. We start to see the value of people more clearly and the value of his way of providing more clearly and just the daily bread that we have more clearly. And the salvation that we know and enjoy and the forgiveness that helps us to walk into a place like this and know that God will come close to his son Jesus. And they're just one after another. And we'll read about him in John. But he says, For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one that has ever seen God No one has ever seen God, but the unique one who is himself God. He's near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So if you ever wonder what God looks like, John is telling us, and I think we've been learning, it is in the face and life and the behavior and the engagement and the touch of Jesus. And I think that aspect of the touch part of it is the thing that resonates with me the most. Because when God comes near, repeatedly he's going up to people and he's touching them, either physically just touching them and healing them. In some cases, he made out of spit and mud something to cover eyes, to bring a a gesture of healing to them. He will come alongside people that he's not supposed to come alongside, like the woman at the well. And he's trying to show us that despite how messy and broken and how dangerous this world is, he is near us. And... This is my 40th year going into the faith. I was 19 when I started thinking about going to church, and it was right around this time of year. And what's so ironic is it's been 40 years, and I'm still here. I'm still interested, and I'm still fascinated by the things of God because they're, like, new despite everything else perhaps not being fresh, and even sometimes being boring. He is just new every day. And there's something about the richness of his presence that changes all the time because he meets us at different places on the timeline under different conditions. And some of you have been tracking with the Lord a lot longer than that. And I would venture to say as you've done that, at different places, different seasons of life, You've related to him in different ways. 
And every season has its own unique kind of relationship. Just like a long friendship or a marriage, it evolves and it changes relative to the conditions that you're going through. And in every one of them, you're just starting out and you're trying to figure it out. Or whether you're partway through and you still have a lot of questions or you have a lot of uncertainties or even a lot of doubt. Or you face something that is life-threatening, like a diagnosis that you did not want to hear. And you know that it's taking you in the direction that you never wanted to go. Or if you have a child that has died prematurely or a child that has died midway through or a child that is just, just is wayward. God says, I'm, I'm here with you in that. And I will help you. There has not been one experience that I have had as a believer where God says, I can't, I can't, I can't help you here. He always finds a way to get into your skin and then relate to you accordingly. And there have been moments when God's just said, I'm not happy with you. It's not because he didn't like me, but it was because he didn't like the direction that I was going in. And like a good shepherd, he just nudged me in the right way. And I'm probably one of those sheep that he had to use cattle prod on, but you know, Everybody's got their thing that motivates them. And John is trying to show us that there are a lot of people who are living in the moment that he's writing this, who are asking the deep question, where is God? What do I mean by that? Well, a lot of scholars will contend that John was written in the late 70s or the early 80s A.D., and something traumatic happened to God's people. They had a seismic event occur in 70 AD. And that is the Romans just got tired of their nonsense. They went to the holy city. They destroyed the temple. They raped and pillaged and plundered and burned. It was just a scorched earth statement to other people you guys act up the way these guys acted up, we're going to destroy you too. Did I mention the temple? Because the temple was the one place that people felt who weren't necessarily closely connected to Jesus, but even some who were remember that Pentecost happened at the temple. They identified that space as the location for how they could come the closest to God. Just like you and I, maybe when we come to church, we know that when we gather in this place, Something happens if we're paying attention. God does speak to us. He does work in our hearts. He takes a message that says one thing, and he communicates it to you where you're at in your place and time in ways that are just mysterious to me as the messenger. And as God shows up in that way, John is trying to tell them, hey, you guys are traumatized by what happened in the holy city. You had relatives that went through that. Some of you yourselves went through that. And some of you are even saying, you know, the temple really is a central location for how we come to, the, come to uh, uh, worship God and connect with God. It is the place that everything else begins to be influenced by. And when the church began, as we've read in Acts 2 and studied, 
it began on the day of Pentecost in the temple when the Holy Spirit descended upon the believers and the church started. And out of that beautiful experience, God and people were connected together at a level they never had been since the Garden of Eden. And yet there's still this sense of, well, what would it be like if you had been deeply committed to First Christian Church for almost your whole life, and this building symbolizes so much of what that represents, that if you came here one day and it was just all gone, it was destroyed, perhaps a tornado or a fire or something, and it's just leveled to the ground. That would probably devastate. The longer you've been here, the devastation would probably be even greater. And I truly understand that because there's so much about the experience of this building that triggers so much about our spiritual lives. And I respect that in you guys. But what John is trying to point out to you and I is that God, when he comes close, it's not a building that he's particularly focused on, but rather his son. And as the book continues to draw into a larger and larger circle of influence, Jesus starts praying, I want them to be one as you and I are one. I can't go until the Holy Spirit, I have to go so the Holy Spirit can come and fill you. And there's this notion that as God comes close, his whole desire has always been to be close, to fill his people to fill us with his presence, to redefine our lives around his son and to show us as a human being, as the son came in that form, how a human being is actually supposed to function. And there's something beautiful in these words that point that out as we've read them. And yet, when he looks at your life and mine, he knows his work is cut out for us, that we're not very good at the art of relating to God or relating to one another. There was a movie that came out a number of years ago called Crash. I don't know if you ever heard of it or not, but it was about people in Los Angeles who were living behind concrete and glass for so long, and people in Los Angeles whose way of life uh, in the late 80s, early 90s, was such that uh, nobody touched anybody. You did not touch another human being in Los Angeles. There just was not that kind of, there's, a, there's, a, there's sort of a distance here. And so this longing that people had for connection, you know, and, and of course we live in a time when you say touch, it, it's, it's so overly sexualized that immediately we, we're, we're triggered by that. But for millennia, people have hugged and touched and carried on, held hands, embraced in ways that had no sexualization whatsoever. It was just a basic human way of relating. And so the movie is about how people become so disconnected from that vital element of touch that, that they actually start crashing cars into each other as a sort of like a, a response to fill that need in a very misguided way and it's just a telling of a tale of how when you suppress that ability to connect with people at the touch level it has to come out in some way and it's going to come out in a way that well rather than have 
the, the non-sexualized, very humane, very life-giving experience of touching other people, handshake, embrace, whatever, you have nothing. And filling that void, we do it awkwardly, involuntarily, impulsively, reactively, and usually counterproductively. And when Jesus came, he came so that he could reestablish that connection on the most intimate level possible. We crash into each other, but when you look at Jesus, he doesn't crash into us, but he gently touches us with grace and truth. Therein lies the problem, because you know what happens when you're driving your truck 60 miles an hour down the road? Nobody sees the flaws. They're like, well, that's an awesome Honda Ridgeline you have. Really, really said nobody, but I'm just pretending. Um, uh, but, but the sense is, oh, that looks really good at that speed. But when you slow down and you take a careful look, you're like, oh. And some of us, when we try to relate to God, we, we're like, hmm, I like the grace part, but the truth part bothers me. Because when God reveals, when God's word reveals God to us, his word also reveals our lives to us. Because it shows us who we're supposed to be, and there's no question. We know that, and as we read the scripture, we know it with greater clarity. But we also know is how much we don't fit that. How much we long to be that, but the reality is we're not, and it scares us. It scares us so much sometimes that I've had people come to church one time and say, man, I love that. That's the best thing in the world. And I've never seen them again. And, and, and maybe I do years later, and I get the sense that it was just too much. And Jesus says, I don't want to overwhelm you with my goodness and my perfect and my glory and my everything about me that by design is in sync with God's creational design for human being. But I want you to know this. It's not me doing the rejecting. If you don't get that signaling from John, you've missed it. It is you rejecting what I have to offer. And the hardest thing, I think, for any believer is to begin to come to terms with who God says we can be in Christ and who we believe ourselves to be, who people have told us that we are, and some of us rather damagingly so by authority figures who have basically said, you'll do nothing. Well, you know what? Then I'll live up to that expectation. Or you are nothing, or you're a piece of garbage, and I guess I'll live up to that expectation. But you never hear God say that about us. He says beautiful things. Things that resonate with his heart when he sees each of us. He sees a radiant beauty of the image of God reflecting back despite all of this stuff. You know, th there's a doctrine that's called total depravity. And there have been different ways of understanding that doctrine. 
And there are different schools of thought, and it comes out of a, of a thought where people follow John Calvin very heavily. And one thought is, we are so totally depraved that there's nothing good in us at all. And then there's another view that says, no, everything has the effect of the depravity of sin on it. It doesn't mean that everything is bad to the last molecule of the DNA. It just means everything has been tarnished by it. It's total, it's comprehensive, it's global. And a lot of classic Calvinists actually take that view. And there's a modern sense that God looks at us and he says, you are so worthless and you are so irreconcilably different than me that it's only through Jesus that you're even alive. I don't believe that. I do not believe that. Because after the fall, it still tells us in Genesis 9, after the flood is occurred and things are getting reestablished, Noah's told, you're made in God's image. There's something about him that says, there's some good stuff there. It just falls apart when our lives, when the overlay of your life and my life does not fit the overlay of Jesus. When we start to get over here, then that depravity starts to take hold. That influence starts to take hold. That brokenness. And the only way, really, um, to, to be restored is to recognize God loves you where you are, as you are, but too much not to rescue you from those things that have broken and disrupted your life and made you out of sync with him. When John's writing this gospel, he's trying to tell this church, God has not left the building Rather, he is right here with you, and he is coming close, and his grace and graciousness is making that possible. But here's a couple more things as we close. God's word is creative and life-giving, and it reveals God to us as well as our need for God. What do I mean by that? It means that every time you and I pick up the Bible, and we read it, it speaks to us. It's not like reading a manual about how to repair your Honda Odyssey. Rather, it is a book that says, when you pick up this book and you start reading the testimony about my son Jesus, somehow those words and my spirit and your heart connect in a way that I have a word for you that is unique to your life your circumstances, and what you are going through. Anybody ever have that experience of reading the Bible? It doesn't happen like every single time, but it happens enough that you know that God is speaking to me in a way that no other book can mediate that experience. And I think that's pretty cool. But what God is showing us is himself and his heart. And here's the last thing. I want you to wrap your mind around as we go into John. Jesus comes close, and as he comes close, he touches us in a way that no one else can. And the transformation that he starts isn't, hey, I'm going to change the circumstances of your life. No, 
I'm going to change your heart. That's the place where I start. And the way I do that, like anybody that has ever experienced the influence of another human being, chances are if they are not showing a deep caring and a loving for you, they're probably not going to have much influence. But if you sense that they have my best interests in mind, you're, 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 you're wide open. And God is saying, I have your best interests in mind more than you will ever know. And I'm going to stick with you whether you are 1 or 59 or 109. I'm going to be there. And if you pay attention to his presence in your life long enough, you start to change. I mean, isn't it true? We become like the people that we hang out with. So just look around at the people you're hanging out with right now. You're becoming like them. I can assure you, I know a lot of your hearts. That's a good thing. And that's why gathering in a church the first day of the week with people that have that same heart and mind who are the recipients of that same grace and truth just build us up in a way that nothing else can. And it's not just us doing that socially. It is God doing it vertically through his spirit. And right about now as I end this message, he's working on you where you are at. And it may be that you have never accepted him as your Lord and Savior. And this is the time to do it. It's a, it's a time of new beginnings. It is a time to say, Lord Jesus, I know that I have never really come to that place where I've committed my life to you, and I want to do that. And we want to help you with that. So your next step may be to see me after the service or come forward as we sing, and we can help you do that. It may be that you're going into this year and you're saying, Lord, I want to move into a greater sense of my purpose and service for you. And again, we can help you with that. God loves you just as you are, but he loves you too much to keep you there because he's got work to do in all of us and through all of us for the road ahead. And we have nothing to fear because the one filled with grace and truth is enabling us to do everything that he asks us to do. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for how you have taken upon yourself the role and the responsibility of coming into our world as God himself, not sending out a delegate or representative, but you, Lord Jesus, came to us and we celebrated that the whole Advent season with a sense of longing for your coming. And we trust that as you have come in that first earthly experience that we've seen recorded in Scripture, that you will come again. But we also know that in the meantime, Lord, that when we ask you into our lives and into our hearts, in a very real sense, you do exactly that when we consent to being open to you and we open the door of our heart to you, Lord, we know that you fill that space. And I pray that that would be the prayer for everyone in this room, that there would be, despite our 
differences between ourselves and you, our weaknesses, our habitual sins, our things that we know are the dark places. Despite all of that, Lord, I pray that you give us the desire to let you in because those are the spaces that you've always inhabited as you've done your gentle work, filling us with your grace and your truth. I just pray that that would be manifest in everyone here as we conclude our time in your word today. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would do your good work. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Leonard started his uh, message this morning. He talked about scars. And I think scars can mean a lot of different things to every, uh, to a lot of different people. They can be memories. They can be lessons. And you know, a lot of times when they become lessons, they often there are things that you don't want to do again. And we, we learn from those things. But as we come to the time of communion, we remember the scars that Jesus bore for us as he was crucified on the cross, the scars in his hands and his feet that none of us have had to experience. And it's at this time of our service where we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us and those scars that, uh, that he physically shown his disciples after he was raised from the dead and just keep that in your memory as as one of the scars that he bore for us we focus on that during this time of communion dear heavenly father we thank you for this day that you've given us we thank you for uh, your son jesus christ we thank you for his life here on this earth we thank you for the sacrifice that he made for us. And I ask your blessings upon this cup and this loaf as we partake in your son's name. Amen.
rises to rejoice. Behold, our God, seated on his throne, come let us adore him. Behold, our King, nothing can compare. Come let to the Lord who can question any of his words who can teach the one who knows all things who can fathom all his wondrous of sinful man, God eternal, humble to the grave, Jesus Savior, risen that chorus one more time together as we finish. time together for your word that we heard. Just may we go from this place, show you everybody we can, put you first, and just love everyone around us, God. Help us grow today. 
We love him. We praise him. Amen. Good to be with you all. Reminder for the planning meeting, if you're part of that today at 11. Uh, If not, hope you have a nice week. We'll see you next week.